G'day, mate. Welcome along to episode 83 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. So good to have you here. Nick, how are you doing this week? I'm good, thank you. Mr. Graham, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, no, very good, mate. Looking forward to digging a little bit deeper on the Great Southern Brevet bikepacking, ultra-endurance type conversation we had last week or in the last episode. Um, lots of people uh, have been commenting on it, and um, which is kind of interesting because I don't really like talking about myself um, too much in the stuff that I do because it's kind of personal or private to me, I guess. I talk a lot about endurance and training and, and that in it's from a general perspective, I guess, but when it becomes uh, about me and quite personal, I kind of feel a little, a little bit awkward and people have been messaging saying, um, you know, that that bikepacking stuff is crazy and, you know, they, they feel inspired and that sort of thing. And it kind of makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, in, in that space, which is been an interesting reflection for myself um and so today we'll continue that conversation and and sort of go a bit deeper on 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 a few things we talked about last week but before we jump into that i did sort of probably did a really poor job of describing my training for the gsb in the last episode Uh, and it occurred to me afterwards that why didn't i just tell people that uh, all of the training that I did, all the writing that I did, is over on Strava, on my Strava account. And I uh, believe that's just Strava. Uh, and then you just go and search um, my username, which I think is Matty G, uh, over on Strava. And I've got a public Strava uh, profile, so anyone can go and actually check out what I actually did because I probably did a pretty poor job of describing the actual training that I did. So if you want to go and check that out, go for it. Otherwise, Nick, I'll throw it over to you, mate, and you can um, you can take us down the rabbit hole whichever way you like. Yeah, that was a good uh, sort of shameless plug for you getting some Strava followers and likes, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess as well uh, that I do have quite uh, not many Strava followers, probably because I don't put much up there, uh, and I haven't put up anything since the Great Southern Brevet either, so... I think the last couple of uh, rides on there are the Great Southern Brevet stages that I did and then all the training leading up to it. So uh, don't go following me if you're looking for regular updates because I haven't posted anything in the last three months, but all the Great Southern Brevet preparation is there. Yes, I guess I guess we'll, we'll touch on why you haven't posted anything in the last three months um, in a minute or two. But Absolutely. I, I like you. I had some really cool positive feedback from the the first ep um, around the Great Southern Brevet and people getting to, to know you and your story a little bit better and, and what you did and what the Great Southern Brevet is. Um, and I think the bikepacking scene is having this real growth phase as people mm-hmm. are looking to maybe get away from traditional uh, sort of mountain bike racing or, or road racing and actually do some exploring at the same time uh, as they are in an event. And the low-key nature, the low-structure um but someone's keeping an eye on your kind of aspect of it is, is in a big appeal for people. So it'd be interesting, I guess, on that to, to know what it is or why it is, sorry, that, that you settle yourself in for, you know, three days of not changing your bib shorts, sleeping in the middle of nowhere, eating cold pies, um, and what drives you to, to want to do that? Because you've done it, yeah, year after year for a couple of years now, at least. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard question, that, uh, and... People often ask, you know, why why would you do 
what you do. And uh, to be honest, I don't really know. Uh, potentially, I'm a little bit unhinged uh, or mentally unstable. <laughs> but I, I guess I was, I was kind of drawn to endurance sport at a young age. Uh, I, and again, I'm not too sure why, but kind of the adventure side of it, uh, the, you know, the coast-to-coast coast started just up the road from my house on the West Coast. So my dad would take me down and watch all the coast-to-coast coast athletes start. And the coast-to-coast coast was sort of the event that sort of got me inspired uh, to get into endurance uh, sport. And of all the endurance sport I've done, multi-sport, adventure racing, uh, mountain biking, the bike packing is is the, the hardest thing that I've, I've done uh, on, on multiple levels in terms of like physically hard and mentally hard, even like emotionally and spiritually if you wanted to go, you know, super deep on it. And I always find myself getting drawn back to it and a little bit of excitement around the adventure that it holds, uh, the challenge that it, you're going you're gonna to face. And I really like the challenge that it, it represents or I'm sort of curious of how I'm going to respond in, in, in such challenging situations. Um, and I kind of kind of use bikepacking at, at this stage of my life anyway as a little bit of a, a laboratory, like a real-life lab, to go and test all of the, all the principles, um, all the values that I kind of talk about, uh, one on the podcast in terms of, you know, physical training, uh, that sort of thing, but also around the concepts, concepts of the Harden Up, um, Harden Up Inc. that we sort of dig into in the Harden Up project as well, uh, in terms of sort of testing your your mental resilience a little bit out there. Uh, I really enjoy you know stories of um, you know early exploration, survival situations, really challenging times, and I find that the bikepacking world provides this amazing um, opportunity to go and test yourself and push yourself uh, to limits that I, I've never pushed myself to before. And adventure racing is, is kind of similar, but I find bikepacking versus adventure racing a little bit differently because often they're about the same duration uh, in terms of you know, length and multiple nights out sleep deprivation in the back of nowhere but the thing i found difference between adventure racing and bike packing is that often you'll be by yourself so in adventure racing you'll you potentially have a team around you of another three three other people you know typically and so when you have a really low patch there's three other people there to help you out of it if you you know if you're feeling really good then you can assist your team in, in that but when you're at your lowest point and bikepacking, and it's, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning, you're in the middle of nowhere, it's howling wind, it could be raining, and all you want is, uh, you know, a teammate to give you a push up a hill or take your bag or whatever it might be, there's no one there. And, and you sort of come face-to-face, -face, you know, with yourself a little bit. And I, I'm just really curious about how I respond to those sort of things. And it's, I find it's a really interesting way of uh, experiencing it because it is, it's a little bit like compressing life into, you know, into three or four days of, of riding. You experience so much, uh, so many highs and lows, so many incredible things, so many extremes, 
terms of you know you could have you could be riding along and it's a beautiful hot day and then you know 12 hours later it's freezing cold and it's snowing or sleeting um you got sunrises sunset you know extreme high you know high climbs where you're just climbing you know for three or four hours groveling and going nowhere and feeling absolutely terrible and then you go over the crest of the hill and it's just a screaming downhill and you're having the most fun of your you know your life and so it's just this uh really intense experience that i find myself going back to so i'm not even too sure if i've answered why i do it but i guess that kind of um gives a little bit of a framework around some of the reasons uh, I keep going back and it, it ticks a lot of boxes for me I guess you get a really good physical challenge that men- mental aspect uh, and it, it goes just a little bit bit above and beyond of um, going and seeing how fast you can ride or run uh, a, sh- a shorter distance I guess yeah I mean it's, it's interesting I have this conversation quite often um, with a mate of mine Mark uh, who's been dying for a shout out from time to time, so I managed to sneak that in there. <laughs> um, about the what's the limit of of these events? You know, we we started off with a marathon or a half marathon, mm. and now then the marathon, and then fifty k's, and then one hundred k's, one hundred miles. Now there's two hundred mile races, and um, you know, bike packing. You've got the Tour of Aotearoa, which what took you eleven ish days. Yeah, I mean that's you know three thousand kilometers. Yeah, and then you know these bigger ones, you know bigger ones still that go across like across America or down the length of America and you know uh, across Australia. You know, it, there is no end to it in sight. You know, no. So so where in your your personal laboratory then? When where do you think the limit is for you? Are you seeking something bigger than the Tour of Aotearoa at any point? Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. Um, I I always come back to the Great Southern Rivet because I kind of like the length of it. And this this probably goes uh, a little bit into, you know, potentially one of my weaknesses as well and that uh, I don't like being away from home too long and that the Great uh, the Great Southern Rivet, you're sort of, you know, done and dusted kind of within five days uh, of, you know, start, finish, door to door if you like. Uh, six, potentially six days if you take the night before getting getting to the start line. So what I'm able to fi- find I'm able to do is get all of those experiences, really physical challenge, uh, mental challenge, uh, all in there at once, kind of in a condensed package. And without being away from work, family, home life too long. And then when you start to go more than that, like the tour of Aotearoa is uh, – I think I was kind of 15 days door to door, sort of leaving home, getting to the start line, finishing, getting down. And so the the longer time frames for me, I don't like as much because uh, one of my core values, I guess, is, is my family and, and being uh, a great dad. And I don't know exactly what a great dad is or what it looks like, but I a big part of it for me is being present or being there. And so I don't like to take myself away for too long. And as we sort of go down this rabbit hole a little bit, a big part of why I had such a down period for so long was uh, being away from my family for a while. And I sort of went through a a bit of a low patch in the Tour of Aotearoa as well, where one sort of evening, uh, all I wanted to do was be home. I'd kind of, I've had enough of it. I'm done. I just want to be home. I found myself like riding through the countryside and seeing lights on in these houses 
and just being drawn to them and seeing people sitting down at the dinner table and watching TV with their family and all that sort of thing and just think, ah, this is, I don't want to be riding my bike anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I just want to be home. So uh, the the duration in, in terms of it is definitely a, a, not necessarily a limit, but something that I I don't like going really long because then I feel that, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking away from other aspects of my life, um, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, and I mean, I've had, <clears throat> had you know, again, we've probably all had that experience of on a, a cold, wet, dark evening, out running, biking, whatever you're doing, and you run past a house, you can smell dinner cooking, you can see people inside by a warm fire, mm. um, and you can get that kind of, I guess, homeliness kind of feel from an hour run. Um, but to have it what, two days or one and a half days into your biking, knowing that you could easily pick up the phone, bring home, and someone would come pick you up, but also you could carry on riding your bike for another day and a half. Um, and so I guess overcoming that is is a, a much bigger mental challenge than than anyone that hasn't been in that situation can probably fathom as well. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it, it kind of, it's silly in, in saying that sort of thing. Like, it's not even a problem, right? Like, I chose to be out there riding my bike uh, and I'm doing it for, you know, for fun. And it's it's not it's not like I've been away for two years or, you know, six months or these other positions people find themselves in, whether it be, you know, work commitments or, you know, stuck overseas because of COVID or whatever it is. So it's not actually, in the scheme of things, it's not even a big deal. But um, I just liked to make it a big deal, I guess, <laughs> at that particular time. Do you think it's worse, though? And, and I, I mean, I've never done anything like your extreme. Um, but, you know, a couple of weekends ago, I did a, a race that took me seven and a half hours. And you're halfway through, and it's mucky and it's crap. And you're like, what am I doing? I've, but then you, you you keep coming back, well, I've paid to do this. Like, I've, I've literally paid money to have this inflicted on me. Um do you think it makes a, a difference that your your why is, is strong enough, I guess, to, to keep you keep driving you through that kind of pain versus, you know, someone that maybe has to go away for work for a month, that's their you know, they're away, away working, that's what they're doing. They don't have a choice as such. Um, they're getting paid to do it, they haven't had to you know, they're they're working for their family in that respect, versus mm. you're out doing something for yourself. Um that you've paid to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I guess as well, it's, it's, it is part of the challenge. It's part of the reason why we seek these things out. And the challenge and it, the challenges that, uh, that sort of you find yourself uh, in, they are often kind of out of the blue. Like you're, you're thinking that it might be, you know, I'm just going to struggle up these hills and the endless climbing and really hot conditions. But then something sort of blindsides you a little bit and you're like fuck i wasn't expecting that but now you've got to work through it and that's the the whole you know point of you know having mental resilience or being able to um you know get over these things and move forward and and push through it and, you know harden up and move forward sort of sort of uh logic and yeah having that why behind what you do is is crucial and i always come back to myself as that this is the reason I'm here. Like I'm here to find a challenging situation to put myself in. 
um, and that's that's what you're getting. So uh, you know, enjoy it, embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Embracing it's a, a strong concept. Again, it's a bit like the cold pie situation. I just don't know if I could embrace it, but I will at some point have to try. Um, and, and, here, and here's me thinking that that um, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Uh, you couldn't face a cold pie <laughs> like that. Uh, it, it's not a struggle to eat a cold pie when you when no. you're out riding your bike for that long. It's like this is awesome. Like oh my god, I love this thing right now. <laughs> like it's not a oh I've got to eat this. This is so terrible. I'm in such a state. It's like yum pies. <laughs> Let's eat. I guess that's a, a difference. I mean, I can having not done anything of that extent. I'm used to thinking oh god, I've another gel in my mouth. Mm. Or I've got to have another drink of sports drink. It's sticky, sweet, and disgusting. Um, but you're eating real food. And so there's probably this, I guess, this mental kind of, oh, getting some real food in my body. Um, as a difference to people that are doing racing um, with traditional sports food, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess as well. So it, it, there's that appreciation of, of things as well mm. um, in terms of, like, uh I've never sort of enjoyed getting into bed as much uh, as you do when you return from one of these things and you've been sleeping on the side of the road. Not that the side of the road's uncomfortable because it's really comfortable sleeping on nice, uh, lush, long grass um, in the middle of nowhere often. And you sleep really well because you're just out like a light because you're so tired. But when you come home and you get into bed and it just feels so soft uh, and just the little luxuries in life like, you know, cold water that comes out of a tap that's clean and it doesn't taste like dirt or it doesn't taste like water purification tablets or it doesn't taste like the last thing that was in your drink bottle. Um, it's just, you know, clean, fresh water or like a warm fire or, you know, clean clothes, all, all of that stuff. It, when you come back from these sort of things, there's just this uh, appreciation, I guess, for the, for the small things in life. Uh, and I really like that aspect as well. And when you're out there, you know, something that may seem like disgusting or something that you'd have to force down your throat like a cold pie, it's like, it's ama- it tastes amazingly good. Yeah. Just because you're so hungry, you know, potentially, yeah. and I say so hungry, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's, it's nothing in comparison to, you know, what uh, someone that's actually starving and doesn't have enough food and all of that sort of thing. It, I, I guess it gives you a, a slight insight into some of these extremes around the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, makes, makes some sense in that respect. Um, so you, you briefly touched on it before, but you're, uh, in, the, in the first episode we heard a bit about your down, downturn in the GSB, um, about a 12-hour period where you were feeling a bit low, um, I believe you had to drink a significant amount of chocolate milk, was it, as well, <laughs> through that time, um, which, you know, will we'll bring anyone back from the brink. Um, but do you want to talk us through through the process, I guess, leading into that and, and how you or why you felt down? Um, and we'll pick it apart from there. Yeah, so it's probably, it's it, it all sort of happened on uh, the last, uh, the second to last day. So if you know the South Island very well, uh, around the Lake Onslow, uh, Ranfurly, Danzies Pass, Kurau type area. So it's sort of within about 200 kilometres of the finish. And the the stretch from Lake Onslow down through to uh, Ranfurly is just this like endless, straight, 
barren farm road, farm back roads. You turn a corner and you can't even see the end of the straight of this road and it's just super long. There's no shade. And I was there in the sort of peak heat of the day and I just absolutely cooked myself. I ran out of water uh, and was just was pretty close to be going into a farmhouse and asking for water, which for me goes against the sort of self-sufficiency ethos of the event. Um, so there was no, no water supplies, no creeks or anything, or anything that you could get water from was just, you know, dairy farm contaminated. So I was riding with, uh, sort of ran out of water for a couple of hours, and it's super hot, baking in the sun, no shade, finally get into Ranfurly and just go into the shop and like buy every single ounce of fluid they have there like four or five different bottles cans of drink and and ended up just like collapsing on the grass uh in Ranfurly there and uh about 45 minutes later I woke up and I was still laying on the grass thinking fuck what am I doing here I, I need to get going so I drank, drank all of this stuff, and I was starting to feel pretty good, better than I had. But I think getting so hot earlier in the day sort of uh, cooked me uh, from the insides out quite quite well. So as I pushed through onto Danzy's Pass, it was getting into the into the night, and I was starting to realise that I wasn't going to be able to finish uh, that evening. So I sort of had this plan in place that. I'd finished late on that night in Tekapo, which happened to be uh, my daughter's, my youngest daughter's birthday as well. And she was really gutted that I was going to miss her birthday. And this is the first time that that, that had sort of happened, that I was missing her birthday, uh, even though we're going to do something, you know, on the weekend when I get back, and that's when the party's going to be. The actual day of her birthday was uh, was this day. And so I knew she was sort of super gutted about it. And it wasn't until a couple of days before I left that everything sort of clicked with her that I wasn't going to be there for her birthday. Up until that stage, it, it wasn't really a problem. So that was sort of ticking away in the back of my head like, oh, you know, you can't even get home in time because you're riding so slowly to, you know, to get back for the birthday. And so I, I was working really, really hard to get to the finish line, but it just got windier and windier and windier uh, in terms of a headwind. And I always tell people, like everyone that I've ever talked to about wind will know exactly what I'm about to say. The reason they call it a headwind is because it's all in your head. And I've told so many people that, and it's 100% true, because it was super windy. It was a headwind, and I was going so slow, but that didn't really change anything. What happened is I started making it a real big deal in my head that I wasn't going fast enough, that I wasn't going to get there in time, that yada, 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 yada. So I just got into this real negative headspace around everything, and I was just ready to be done. So I'm about 100, 120 kilometers from the finish now, and it's you know getting late into the night in terms of you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock uh, sort of time frames. And it's just getting, it's progressively getting windier and windier. And I'm just at, at my physical limit, like completely shattered. And to give you a bit of an idea of what it kind of feels like, 
to be out uh, writing for this long is I always like the the getting up in the morning is like a really interesting time in terms of how you physically and mentally feel. So you can imagine if you wake up and it's let's say it's three or four o'clock in the morning, so it's pitch black, it's cold, and whenever I wake up on, on a brevet, I'm all, I tend to be shaking. So sometimes it's because you're so cold and you wake up because you're cold. But I wasn't cold, but you're just sort of shaking in this uncontrollable uh, shake, and you feel like you're going to vomit. I often do, especially in the last uh, few days because you've been working so hard and you've, you're, you've got like a pounding headache and you're a little bit disorientated because you're not exactly sure where you are and then it sort of dawns on you where you are and what you've got to do and it's oh, it's like the worst feeling ever because you're going to have to put your cold bike shorts back on, your, your bum is um, it's not in an ideal state, let's say. And I always... Uh, say that you know when you've been out for a long bike ride and you've got a real sore ass and you're like far out this must be bleeding like you know my sit bones where they sit on the seat they must surely they're bleeding like this is really sore and you ever we position yourself in the mirror to have a look and there's and there's nothing wrong down there you know not even any red marks however a few days into uh, a brevet, especially the Great Southern brevet, because it's so rough, your your butt gets a real pounding from it. There's literally scabs on your sit bones, and so you put your your cold bike shorts back on, uh, and your your chamois kind of feels like uh, sandpaper or cardboard, and then you have to try and sit on your seat. But you and your body's just uh, incredibly sore. It kind of feels like you've uh, been run over by a bus and everything's sore and stiff and your knees are swollen up. Your feet have got these big, deep folds in them and uh, everything's hypersensitive. Um, your hands tend to be a little bit either numb or going numb, some of your fingers, or tingly at least. And so if, if it, I kind of describe it as like, the worst hangover, waking up with the worst hangover that you have ever had in your life. Feel sick, not sure where you are, everything's a bit blurry, you sort of got the shakes on, feel like you're going to vomit. Excellent. Let's get our gear on and get on our bike. But So that's a little bit of a, I guess, an outline of, of where I was on this last evening. And to top it all off, without wanting to get too uh, graphic or give too much information, I had this really weird uh, chafing or rub on uh, on the end of the old fella downstairs, if you can pick up what I'm saying. And it was getting super infected and swollen. And it's the worst uh, discomfort. Well, not the worst discomfort. It's right up there with the worst discomfort I've ever sort of experienced. So if you can imagine all of the, the, the tender touch points that are going to touch your seat, they're not feeling the best. And so this combined with the whole missing of the birthday party, uh, I wasn't in a very good mental headspace, let's say. And so I wasn't going to make the finish line and sort of my goal sort of time. And I felt terrible. And I was just ready to be done. So I'm sitting there, 2 o'clock in the morning, and halfway up the Hakaturamiya Valley, and it's just this howling headwind, and 
I sort of get to the point where I'm done. Like, I'm quite happy to be finished right now. Don't want to be here anymore. And then I sort of go through this process in my mind, because this has kind of been unfolding all day, right, to get to that point. You get this negative thought cycle going on in your head, and it's all big downward spiral. Had these two voices on each shoulder, one saying, come on, harden up, you can do this, just push on through, and this other one going, rah, 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 all this negative stuff. Um, and there's probably some people who, uh, you know, psychologist-type people that are listening to this, probably <laughs> saying that I need some help with all this internal conversation that I'm having with myself, but um, it's never um, I'm never lonely out there <laughs> because I've got all this internal mental chatter going on, I guess. So I sit down on the side of the road, and uh, think th- think through my options. So three o'clock in the morning, who am I going to call? Well, not going to call Lily, my wife, because she's back in Hawaii, three four hundred kilometres away, whatever it might be. Three a.m. She's not going to be super stoked getting a call at that that time. Uh, you know, she's not going to jump in the ambulance and come out and pick me up because it'll be daylight by, by the time she gets there. Uh, I'm not in any immediate danger, so I'm not going to push my, you know, SOS beacon and have a helicopter come and pick me up because I'm literally sitting on the side of a road, um, you know, not in any immediate danger. So the the biggest thing I needed to do was just uh, just stop this downward thought cycle and a big part of that for me was I'm not going to get there just accepting it I'm not going to get there in the time that I want does that change anything no not really uh I'm going to have a sleep now because this is the time that I normally have a sleep I'm going to get up in the morning and then and then finish it off so that's that's exactly what I did and and by the time I sort of went through those simple steps the last 12 hours uh you know didn't necessarily even need to happen because it didn't change anything. And the big thing I took away from it, it was just how these negative thoughts can just, you know, start spiraling uh, out of control. And they sort of layer up on each other and you got a little bit of physical discomfort there uh, and it just feeds into it. Next morning, woke up physically worse than the day before, right? So everything sort of deteriorated more. The infections have got worse and um, in, a, in a terrible state. But I finish off uh, in, in a super good headspace. Only thing that had changed was how I was thinking about things. And so that was, it, it sort of showed a couple of things to me in that it gave me a really small insight or appreciation of how you hear these stories of people who just, laid down and died because they'd had enough. So I'd never really understood that before. I'd never understood how someone could give up, lay down on the side of a track or, you know, uh, you hear about it on Mount Everest, how they just give up, lay down, and they die. And I'd, I'd never understood that before. And I got a very, very, very small appreciation of that now of, yep, I can understand how people just get to that that end and say, I'm done. Because I always thought it was a point of just push through. You've always got more to give, whatever it might be. But I kind of understand that now. And another thing that i got a sort of a small insight in is how extreme events influence people's uh, behaviors in the long term. 
And what I mean by that is, for example, my grandfather was uh, a prisoner of war in World War II, uh, captured by the Nazi Germans and put in a, uh, in a prisoner of war camp for four years. And in Poland, and it snowed a lot, and he had to march over like a 1,000 kilometres at the end of the war as everyone was invading uh, Germany and pushing all of the German soldiers back. They got everyone in the prisoner war camps and said, we're going this way, away from the advancing armies. And he marched for, you know, over a month through frozen conditions, snow. And he hated snow, apparently, for the rest of his life. Never wanted to be around it. Um, he used to work up in Arthur's Pass as a roadman, and in the winter it would snow and he'd be responsible for getting rid of the snow. Quit the job when he came back, not doing that anymore. Don't ever want to see snow for the rest of my life. I never quite understood that because I really like snow. Love skiing, that sort of thing. Um, another story that I heard around people that have been in concentration camps, Jewish uh, concentration Holocaust survivors, they were so hungry they, and for years afterwards they'd always carry around a piece of bread in their pocket. I never really understood that. Uh, you know, why would you do that? But apparently it was just always they put their hand in their pocket and they knew that there was some food there at least. They were never going to go starving, you know, for the, you know, for their life because they had that piece of bread there from all the experiences they went through. And these are quite extreme examples. And again, I got a really small, a really small uh, look into this and in that I was... I was just um, obsessed with cold drinks for like two weeks after the Great Southern Reveille this year because I'd been, I'd been the thirstiest I'd, I'd ever been during this couple of hour time period when I ran out of water or was super hot and ended up, you know, passing out and falling asleep on the grass. And I'd never been that thirsty before. And that was, I was thirsty for like two hours. Like, it's so pathetic, it's not even funny. After the event, I went in to the shop and brought like 10 different varieties of cold drinks, like different cans, different bottles, different flavors of the same drink. Got this big thing of ice and put it in this container so they were all sitting in there for the drive home. And for the next two weeks, I'd like have water in the fridge all the time uh, and just became completely obsessed with having cold fluids on hand all the time. It was like, it was so bizarre. But it kind of gave me this little insight into how, you know, people would develop these sort of lifelong behaviours from these extreme experiences that they go through. And that was super interesting for me as well to, to experience and go through that. Um, Nick, I've just been just talking. I don't even know where we're up to, mate. Uh, What's going on here? Well, it's interesting. I, um, just trying to, I guess, connect a couple of a couple of similarities between what you're talking about, I guess, with uh, the spiralling of the mind um, and, I guess, the, the general mental health and well-being of, of people that might be listening. Mm. Um, and it kind of ties in nicely with the Harden Up project. And, and I do sometimes get people saying, well, you know, you can't just tell someone to harden up all the time because sometimes they don't need to harden up. And it's true, we're not, we're not sitting here, and we've, we've explained that before, trying to tell people that everything's fine if you just pull your mm. socks up and carry on. Um, but, interest, you know, a, a lot of 
a lot of mental health and anxiety sufferers aren't the best at putting, you know, good nutrition or, or food of any sort into their body. And it kind of, I guess, where, where you're started, you know, you're pushing so hard, trying to make this time to get back to see your daughter, and, you know, you, you're not drinking enough uh, because you didn't have any water, um, and you might not have been eating enough, and therefore the spiral of that down the track as it builds and builds and builds ends up with, you know, sort of passing out for 45 minutes uh, with 10 empty drink bottles around you, um, and then pushing on to the, the mind getting worse and worse uh, because you've allowed it to become sort of depleted so heavily. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe if you'd had access to water uh, coming out of the back of Lake Onslow, for maybe, you know, let's say two two water stops might have been enough to yeah. keep, keep you going. Who, who knows? Um, and so it's a good good reminder, you know, when, when you are feeling a little bit a little bit down or, you know, your mind's going a little bit crazy just to make sure that you are, people are still eating and, and drinking as a very small aside. Um, <clears throat> but it is a, it's a fascinating, fascinating story to hear that, that unfoldingness, I guess, of you, because you see, you watch your dots, or, you know, you might see a, a few photos of you at the finish line, um, you're all happy, you're all smiling, um, and you just, you've got no idea that within that period you've had this, this 12 hours of, of, of hell, almost. Um, I do think we might have to make this an, ex, uh, an explicit podcast rating <laughs> um, after your, your graphic rash story there. Um, it might scar a few people. Mate, it, it has literally scarred me. <laughs> Didn't even know it was possible. No, no, I think that's probably enough enough graphic insight for, for <laughs> enough for people for, for change. But um, do you do you find those? So, I mean, most people won't get to experience a, a three day or four day kind of brevet, um, whether it be purely they have no desire to do it whatsoever, um, through to just not going to be possible. But do you think that? experience for you with this down spiral of the mind and and the places you've got to um will transfer across to, to helping you in in day-to-day life absolutely I, and i think like um it's it's one and the same so in, endurance athletes have got higher pain tolerance in the general population based on some research that they did where they put people's hands in ice buckets and endurance athletes are able to withstand more pain and than the g- just general general person because they think it's just because that every day they go out and they push that physical limit and the what our decisions and everything and our, our our perceptions are are just feedback from our nerves from what's happening around us from our senses what we're seeing what we're hearing what we're feeling uh, that's just feedback that we're getting it goes into the you know the central motherboard of our brain and then we try and make um make sense of what's going on around us and i think a a big part of that is uh having comparisons that you can compare yourself against and a lot of the time comparisons go in the negative way i wish i had that or that's got so much more than me or you look at social media and everyone's got a wonderful life and yada 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 but I think, and I've shared shared this on the Harden Up uh, uh, Instagram account as well, of comparing yourself to people that have less. You know, refugees or people in Syria that are living in bombed-out houses trying to bring up their families. And there's some incredible comparison photos of, you know, the Western world and then, uh, you know, a, a Syrian combat zone sort of uh, world side by side. And it's just... It makes you, it's very humbling, I guess, 
And I think the same sort of goes with uh, endurance events is if you think about it enough, you can take those experiences and lessons back into your into your normal life. And that I really try not to complain about anything, especially not being thirsty or hungry because I, I know I've, I've kind of been uh, slightly off the average in terms of I've been kind of thirsty and kind of hungry, but I know that in, in, in these events, but I know that is nothing in comparison to like extreme thirst and extreme hunger. And so when I walk around on a day-to-day basis, it's like, this is just so good. You know, I've got nothing to complain about. Or when uh, there's challenging times in terms of, you know, stress at work or stress at home in terms of, you know, kids' behavior and that sort of thing, I always try and remember that there was a time where all I wanted to do was <laughs> it was be at home because I, I missed everyone so much. Do you know what I mean? And now here I am and the kids are having a complete meltdown and I've just got to be here, deal with it the best I can, you know, not lose my temper and, and just try and help um, my kids through whatever, whatever they're going through in the best way that I can. So I, I really find that it flows both ways in terms of the experiences that I have out when I'm uh, pushing my personal limits flow back into my sort of everyday life as well. And then everyday life flows on into those endurance experiences uh, at the same time. Mm. I guess one could <clears throat> get quite philosophical on the matter and say like, life is one big endurance. Um, it is. Event. Yep. So and, all, all in it. Mate, we're all in it for the long run. It's the human race that we're part of. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I the the more I uh, do and help uh, people and you know work with different people, the more I sort of start to develop that thought, and that it becomes a lot more than just training for an endurance event, uh, you know, for a race on the day, whatever it might be. It, but it is a the bigger picture is is life and how it shapes. Um, shapes your life uh, on on the whole in terms of the experiences that you have and the things you do each day and the company that you keep and all all of that stuff um, and it is it is pretty high level thinking I guess and quite philosophical but I think um, it's a it, it's good a good thing to reflect upon as well. Yep, I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So we're going to wrap it up there, team. Uh, if you're still here, uh, well done on surviving this brutally long, rambly endurance event of Matty's uh, long bike ride that he did once. Um, if you've got any questions, feel free to let me know. Always keen to connect with the people that are listening to this podcast. If you've got any things you'd like to see in the future, things you'd like to, us to talk about, uh, let me know. We'll do our best to uh, get those uh, onto the podcast whether it be special guests or topics that sort of thing otherwise get out there train hard but most importantly train smart we'll talk to you next time